If you remember last week, we talked about how that grace and peace are unchanging. They are given to us at our salvation. However, we can grow up into this grace and into these truths more and more every day by the knowledge of God. That's what we talked about last time we met. In verse 3, we're going to talk about something of utmost importance, the divine power of God. I'm excited about this because it is truly something to be excited about. So with that being said, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, let's read it. It says, Seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. Let's pray. Father, what a verse we've just read. Lord, it is alive, it is active, it is your living word. Lord, and I pray that as we begin to dive into this verse, Lord, that you would give us understanding, you would give us uh, just wisdom, Lord, that only can be accomplished by your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would lead me into truth. And Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes today to the truths of your word. Lord, that it would allow us to grow in our sanctification, Lord, and it would allow us to worship you even more deeply and more truthfully. Lord, we thank you that it is your divine power that has granted us all things. And Lord, let us never forget that. We pray these things in your name. Amen. This verse starts out by saying, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. This is speaking of two parts, if you will. This is speaking of our initial regeneration, our being born again, but it's also speaking about in our daily life, in our walk with Christ, in sanctification, the process that it involves. But the first thing I want to really begin to point out here is looking at our salvation, looking at our regeneration, looking at what it means to be born again. And, and if you'll notice that Peter has labored this point before. And where does he do this? He does this in the very first few verses of his first epistle. Let me read this to you really quickly. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Verse 3. Now we're in verse 3 of this. Now I know there's not chapter and verses when this was written, but listen to what he says in his first letter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then he comes in verse 3 here and he says, Seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. My first question that I always like to ask when I come to this is this, who causes you to be born again? Because we have one side of the fence that says you cause yourself to be born again. You bring your faith, and in your faith you come to Christ, and you give Him permission to allow you to be born again. That doesn't even sound right to say, does it? It is by His power that you are being born again, or have been born again. 
It is by the work of God that you are born again. It is through Him that you're born again and nothing that we do. This is what this verse is starting to shape up to tell us. Seeing that His divine power has granted this. And we look at the word granted. Where have we seen this throughout the New Testament? Well, we see it in a couple places. One of the places that we see it is in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And in verse 24 through 26, he says that when we witness to people, we are to be kind and gentle. Why? So that if perhaps God grants these people repentance, if perhaps he grants them, it is something that God has to grant. And then he tells us in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, it has been granted on our behalf to believe in Christ. He grants us that privilege. Because if you remember, verse 1, that we've received a faith. This faith is not something that we earn or innately have in in our sinful state. It is something that is given to us by God. It is by His divine power. And this is what John chapter 6 will will tell us in verse 63. It says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. You and your flesh cannot cause yourself to be born again. But that's what we're taught. We're taught that in your unregenerate state, you somehow muster up faith. Where does it come from? In your unregenerate state, there's nothing in you that loves God. There's nothing in you that understands. You're not seeking after Him. There's nothing in your heart that has anything to do with Christ. You are running from Him, is what the Bible says. We don't muster up faith in an unregenerate heart and then come bring this faith to Christ and say, okay, now I will allow you to cause me to be born again. That's not how that works. Being born again is a monergistic act. It is of God and God alone. The Bible tells us the flesh cannot do it. It requires something more than the flesh. It requires the spirit and it requires the divine power of God. Think about what we have made it into. That we don't understand the nature of our depravity. We don't understand the nature of our sin. We don't understand the nature of who we are before Christ. And we think that in our own flesh, we can come and be the the triggering result of our rebirth. That's not how that works. Faith does not cause you to be born again, but rather you have faith because you are born again. It is a supernatural, sovereign act of God and God alone. This is what he's saying. It's the divine power of God. Not the divine power of you. You don't have it. I don't have it either. What's interesting here is when we begin to look at this word for power, this is the Greek word I've got up here, dynamaios. And this is where you start to look at it. Maybe you can see some word that comes out of this. The the, the root word that we use in our English language is where we get the word dynamite. This is a miraculous power and might. This is not something just sort of powerful and, you know, we kind of work with him and, and we bring about our salvation, we bring about our regeneration and we've got enough in our flesh to do this. No, we don't. For someone to be born again, 
requires something that you don't have. Divine power. It is only by the divine power of God that one can be born again. What does it mean to be born again? We've heard this so many times. We've heard it until we're blue in the face. We have heard this term, but we don't know what it means. Being born again is the act where God, by His sovereign power, comes into the soul of those who are running, those who have nothing to do with Him. But He comes into those whom He's chosen from the foundation of the world, and He invades their soul, and He does what they can't do. He takes out the heart of stone and he puts in a heart of flesh. Can you do that? Your heart says it's evil and wicked and wants nothing to do with God. How do you then and how do I give myself a new heart? You can't do that. The flesh counts for nothing. The spirit is where life is. It is where he comes and by his sovereign power, he takes out that cold heart of stone and he gives you a heart of flesh. It is in the working of being born again or regeneration that He takes your mind that is hostile to God and He begins to put affection in your soul for Him. The things that you used to hate, now you begin to see the beauty of. He works the soil of your soul so that when the words of the gospel come to you and they hit your heart and they hit your ears and they hit your mind, they take root and they grow because your heart has been changed before you hear those words that are of the gospel. Did you tell your heart? Did you change your heart? Did you cause your heart to be made anew? Did you raise yourself out of spiritual death into spiritual life? The answer is absolutely no. So you are born again before you put faith into Christ. He regenerates your soul. He changes your your inclination of your mind and your will and your soul. And then when you hear the gospel, you see the need for the gospel. And then the faith that he's given you, you place into him and you are justified. That is a sovereign, supernatural act of God by his divine power how we've weakened this, how we've made this uh, something that is so small. Think about what it took to bring about your regeneration. Was it your decision? Was it your flesh? Was that what brought about your regeneration? How weak is that? How weak is that if, if we can bring it about? No, we can't. We never have and we never will. And if you want to be honest with you, it's kind of arrogant, isn't it? We don't think about it like that, do we? How arrogant is it of us to think that in our lost state, in our hopelessness, in our total depravity, in our running from God, that we could be the means to bring about our rebirth? Is there anything more arrogant than that? It is a sovereign act of this God, and it is by His divine power that any human being is brought to spiritual life. That is what happens in rebirth, regeneration, being born again. Regeneration precedes faith. That's the heart of Reformed theology, that regeneration takes place before faith. The faith is a gift from God, as we've talked about in the last few weeks. But it is this power and might that He brings about life. 
I want to talk about that divine power just for a moment. That dynamite power, that miraculous power that comes from God and God alone. And I want you to stop and think about this. What power it took to bring you from spiritual death to spiritual life. That's not a little power. That's not just a, a, a sort of a cool thing or a sort of a miraculous thing. I want us to begin to see the power that it took to bring about your regeneration. The same power that spoke the world into existence is the same power that caused your regeneration. Think about that. You, get a, you can look at the wonders of this universe. You can look at the power that it took to bring this world and this universe into play. He spoke it into existence. When he looked into the darkness and said, let there be light, there was light. What power that it took to speak the sun into existence, to speak the moon into existence and to let it hang there, to cause all the planets and all the galaxies to, to work in perfect harmony, to hold it all together. He does this by the power of His Word. It is the same power that created this universe that was at work in the soul of His people to bring about their regeneration. How often do we think about that? Well, he saved me. I gave him permission to, and he saved me. Couldn't have done it without me. Boy, he's lucky. No, 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 no. The same power that spoke this world into existence is the same power that it required to bring your soul to spiritual life. Listen to what he says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. God after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. Same word that is used to describe our rebirth and the divine power that causes rebirth is the same power that He spoke the world into existence with and the same power of the Word that holds all things together. How does the sun hang there? Anybody know? How does the moon do what it does? How do the stars hang and He knows them all by name? How does that happen? How does it all hold together? By divine power of His Word. That same power, that same word is the same power that called you out of death into life. It is the same power of that word that brought about your regeneration. How dare we think that we can do it? How dare we think it's all of us? It is by His divine power, the power of His word. Next week, we'll come and we'll celebrate the resurrection of Christ. What power it took to raise Him from death to life. Would you agree with that? What power there was to raise Him from death to life. 
The same power that spoke the world into existence, the same power of the word that holds all things together is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And it is that same power that brought about your life and holds you together. Listen to what he says in Romans 8, 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit, which dwells or who dwells in you. You see, the same power that spoke the world into existence holds it all together. The same power that raised the son from the dead is the same power, the divine power that brings about your regeneration and your sanctification. How often have we thought about that? How often have we made salvation something so trivial, something we take for granted, especially when we've been a Christian for a while, don't we? We just kind of get lazy in it sometimes. He saved me. Yeah, he did. Died for me. Yeah, he did. He indwells me. Yeah, he did. He does. What did it, what did it take to bring about your salvation? took the power of God. That's the only thing that it could take. Because no human being could ever do it. No human being has divine power. Only one does, the divine. So when you go back and read Genesis, I challenge you, go read creation and think that's the same power that he met my soul with one day and raised me from death to life. That same power that he holds the universe together with as we speak, it's the same power. That's at work in my soul. The same power that raised the Son from the dead is the same power that raised my soul from death to life. You remember, we're in union with Christ. We died with Him on the cross, and then we are resurrected with Him. We're dead to the old man, and we're raised anew into spiritual life. The same power that raised Him is the same power that raises us. That's what Ephesians 2 is all about. We are dead in sin, but now we've been raised to spiritual life with Him. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, he tells us that it's the divine that works in us, that lives in us, so that we can show that it's not of ourselves, but of him. He says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. The power of God dwells in his people. The power of God has met the soul of his people one day in their regeneration and continues to dwell with them in their life. Do you see the weight of this regeneration, the weight of this being born again? It takes the power of the divine and nothing less. It takes the power of the divine and nothing less to bring about regeneration. It's the work of Christ and Christ alone. Remember, you're running. You're in the darkness hiding. You would never seek God in your unregenerate state, but He seeks you, and He finds you. And if you're a Christian today, and you love God, and He has regenerated your soul, know that 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 divine power invaded your soul one day and brought you to life. What power it is. It says that He's granted us by His divine power everything pertaining to life and godliness. This is referring to eternal life. Abundant life. John 10.10 says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. 
Later on in that chapter, in chapter 10, in verse 27 through 29, here's what he says. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. It is by His divine power that we have eternal life. It is by His divine power that we have been raised to spiritual life. You'll see that's not fleshly power. That's not your power. That's divine power. You'll see who's at work in this rebirth is Christ and Christ alone. This is the first step. This is where the faith is implanted in you. This is where He changes your disposition, your mind, your will, to then see the truth of the Bible. And then when the Word comes, it changes your life. But the work of God is where it starts. Regeneration precedes faith. Because in an unregenerated state, we cannot do any of this. And even in our most powerful times in life that we think we could never do what is required to bring about our rebirth. So he's given us by his divine power everything pertaining to life. His eternal life, he's taken care of it. By his divine power, he's granted us all we need for eternal life. Power in Him, rescue in Him. He has ensured our eternal life. That's good news. First Peter tells us that He's guarding our inheritance, but He's also guarding us for our inheritance. That if you're a child of God, you just read there that no one, nothing can take you out of the shepherd's hands. His love for His elect is immutable. It's unchanging. He's given you everything you need for eternal life. What is that? Your good works? Nope. What is required for eternal life? His divine power. You see who gets all the glory in this, don't you? It's God. It's to God and God alone be the glory. He's given us everything pertaining to life. He gives us life in this life that we are being sanctified, that he's, he's given us joy in this life, even though it may be filled with heartache and, and trials, that there's a joy and there's a peace of this life that he gives to his people. He also says that his divine power has given us everything we need to, for godliness. This is reverence for God and the life of holiness in the world, righteousness, sanctification. And this is only brought about by the divine power of God in salvation because here's the just the harsh reality. That before our salvation, before our regeneration, there's nothing godly in us. There's no desire for anything godly. There's no desire for Christ. There's nothing in us that points to Christ or would choose Christ or to run to Christ. We have nothing on our own. But when we place faith in Christ, He brings about our justification. And at that time, He declares us righteous and holy, not because we are but because of His imputed righteousness upon us. The Bible says that when we become children of God, even though we are not perfect, and even though we still stumble and fall, He says that we are looked at as holy and blameless in the eyes of Christ, and there's no condemnation now. Why? Not because you're good, not because I'm good, not because I bring righteousness, but because we've been covered with the imputed righteousness of Christ. That's what Romans 8 says. What we couldn't do by fulfilling the law, He came and did by fulfilling all the law so that we could have that righteous requirement met in us. 
It is by His power and salvation, it is by His divine power that He imputes righteousness upon us, and now our minds and our lives are pursuing godliness in this life, where before we ran from it, and we hated it, and it was foreign to us. You see, it is by His divine power that we now pursue godliness and have this righteousness in our life because of His divine power. Romans 8 Verse 29 tells us that one thing is very clear, that not only at the time of our salvation is our hearts turned toward godliness and do we have the imputed righteousness of Christ, but he tells us that it is this divine power that is in us that the Holy Spirit works in our lives to continue to grow us into godliness and to be more conformed to His image in our life. That's what sanctification is, that He changes us, and by the power of His Word and by the power of regeneration, He brings this to our life, but that's not where it stops. That by His power, we're to be growing more daily into godliness, into sanctification, and into conformity to His image. And you know why that is? Because that is what every believer has been predestined to do. You don't believe me? Let's read Romans 8, 29. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. He's predestined you to be conformed to the image of His Son, growing in sanctification, growing into this, to this godliness that is only brought about by His divine power and His working in us. You see, you cannot be a Christian and not grow in your life towards the conformity of His image, because that's what we've been predestined to do. That's why James tells us that you can profess you're a Christian all day long. Profession never saved anyone. It's dead. But by the fruits of the Spirit, by the growing in the conformity of the image of God, that's a result of His divine power. And it's what we've been conformed to do, or what we've been predestined to do, to grow in His image. That's what Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 5 says Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Does that sound familiar? Yes, He's granted us everything we need by according to life and godliness, according to His power. Look who it's from. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. Before the foundation of the world, He chose His people to be holy and blameless in His eyes, and that only comes about by justification. And if you remember, if you're justified, do you know what you know that you've also been? You've been called. And if you've been called, you know one thing for sure, that you've been predestined. And if you've been predestined, you know one thing from before the foundation of the world. He chose us in Him. Read the text. Let me, let me read it out how modern interpretations would go. You ready? Just as we made a decision for Him and God waited on to see what our decision was, and then He set His eternal decrees so that we would be holy and blameless before Him. That's what's being taught in many places today. 
that God looks ahead down the quarter of time, sees who would choose him, and then that's who his people are. Friends, if God looked ahead to the unregenerate soul and waited on to see what our decision would be, no one would be in heaven. Because we cannot seek God, we cannot bring our rebirth, and we would never choose the things of God. That's just truth. That's a hard truth to hear. But it's biblical. Listen to it again. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, so that we'd be holy and blameless, before Him in love. In, in love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to what? According to the kind intention of His will. His will, His choice, His love. He's done that so that we could have eternal life. His divine power has granted us that. He's placed godliness in that desire in our life. And then He doesn't leave us there. By His Holy Spirit, He guides us and conforms us more and more into the image of God, which is what we've been predestined to do before the foundation of the world. You see, He doesn't leave us hanging. He's granted you everything you need as a believer for eternal life, for salvation, for sanctification. It's been granted by the power of God. This word, the dynamite, miraculous, supernatural power of God that's at work in our lives. He's granted everything every believer will need as salvation and through their lives by His divine power and godliness. This speaks to the two, two headings of sanctification. There's initial sanctification where we're set apart, we're made holy in His declaration of us. But then there's also progressive sanctification where we grow more into His image throughout our lives. The work of regeneration, this is important, the work of regeneration in causing one to be born again is monergistic, which means that it is the work of God alone. God comes, God regenerates, God causes your soul to be born again, He changes your heart, He changes your soul, He changes your will. And that's a work of God and God alone. By the dunameos, the dynamite power, he does that. That's monergistic. That's God alone. Because the flesh can't do that. The unregenerate can't do that. It takes the divine power of God. But after salvation, then your walk through life is synergistic. Which means that now you have some work to do. We don't sit there after salvation and say, well, God saved me, gave me the faith to believe, justified me, sanctified me, and now I'll just sit here and coast. That's not how it works either. Listen, the Bible's clear. Before God causes regeneration in your soul, before He, he causes you to be born again, you never seek God. Romans 3 tells us that. You can't. To say otherwise is to call the Bible a lie. You can't, you won't, you don't. He finds you, He saves you, He regenerates you, gives you faith to believe. You put that faith in Him. He brings about justification, and now you live a life towards God. But it is after your salvation that the seeking begins. You don't seek Christ in your unregenerate state, but when you come into spiritual life by the divine power of God, that is when your seeking for God begins. 
That is when you seek after righteousness. You seek after the things of God. You hunger and you thirst after righteousness. That hunger that was never there before now is in your soul. The things that you hated before regeneration, you now love. The God that you did not love, now you have affection for. It is after your regeneration that we are to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. We are to seek God. We're to seek wisdom. We're to seek holiness. We're to seek those things that God wants us to have in our life. That's where the work begins. That's where the synergistic work is brought to be. But bringing that rebirth is God. And then after that is us in combination with the Holy Spirit to bring about our sanctification. We talked about this last time we met. We're to grow up into that grace and peace. We're to grow up into the knowledge of God so we can further advance our sanctification. Let me just issue a challenge for me to all of us. How much have you sought for godliness this week? How much has your heart burned and yearned for the things of God. Theology is great. It matters. But if it doesn't get to our hearts and it doesn't get into our daily lives, it's not as effective as what it should be. Are you chasing God now? He chased you down in salvation. But are you chasing Him? Are you content with where you're at? So often, that's the case with us, isn't it? Myself included. He says He's given you everything. He's given me everything pertaining to life and godliness. It is our job to then pursue those things. To pursue and hunger after righteousness because He said what will be filled. How much desire do you have for the things of God, for godliness, for growing in sanctification? That is the will of God, and that is what every believer has been predestined to. It is an important thing. It brings about increased life and joy and peace in the heart of a believer. The more you know about God, the seeking begins after salvation. He says, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and excellence. I want to spend the last moments that we have talking about that He called us. Are you a Christian? If you're a Christian, He's called you to Himself. This is the term we use in the effectual call of God. Let me tell you what it is, and let me tell you what it's not. The effectual call of God is a call that brings about the effect to which it was desired. It brings about the purpose for which the one who calls intends it to have. The effectual call is not a call that is, fingers crossed, I hope it comes to pass. That's not an effectual call. Effectual call is not begging and pleading that something comes to pass. 
Effectual call is that it happens, it's called, and whatever it desired by the one who calls it to be, it happens. If you've been here through Romans, you've been here through, you're going to know the example that I'm getting ready to give you. So just listen to it again. The same power that we talked about, this divine power that spoke the world into existence, is the same power that came to your soul and brought new life. When God spoke into the darkness and said, let there be light. Do you know what we call that? An effectual call. God did not say, light, if you're out there somewhere and you really want to come and you really want to light up this place, I'll leave it up to you. Light, please. <laughs> and then they don't, light doesn't come. And then, oh, please, light, please. I really need some light for this universe, and I've been trying to call you. Uh, please. Does anybody think that's crazy? Please tell me you think that's crazy. Because if you say no, then we're going to have to start the sermon all over again. Maybe from ground one. That's silly. The Bible records something very specific that when he said, let there be light. Do you know what came? Light. Why? Because it was an effectual call. The light came as fast as light could come to the command and the fiat of this holy, sovereign God of the universe. With the divine power that he spoke those words, that light came rushing in and illuminated what God wanted it to illumine. That's an effectual call. No Christian, I think, I say this, I don't know anymore. No Christian should say that, yeah, the light could have said no. When God called the light, the light could have said no. Do you know the Bible tells us something about the divine power that brought about your regeneration? It is compared to that same call of darkness into light at creation. The Bible's clear. In John chapter 3, at the ending of that, uh, after chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, 18, it starts to get into the, those verses that say, before our conversion, before our rebirth, we are children of the darkness. We don't come to the light because our deeds are evil. We cannot come to the light. We hate the light. We run from the light. We absolutely hate the light. So how does one who hates the light come into the light? By your divine power? By your work? By your merit? No. But 2 Corinthians chapter 4 tells us what happens. He says the same words, the same voice that spoke into the darkness, let there be light, is the same power, the same words that come to the heart of his people and he stands and he cries into their souls that are completely dark. And says, let there be light. That's how you become a Christian. That's how your heart is born again. That's how you're brought out of darkness into life. Because by the same power that spoke light in creation, and that's the same power, the same God, the same words come to your soul when you're running and you're in darkness and you're hiding. And he looks at your soul and says, 
let there be light. Now, you just told me that you thought it was crazy. If the same command at creation didn't come to pass, that would be crazy, wouldn't it? God wouldn't have power if He couldn't call the light into into being. But what about when He calls light in the same way into the hearts of His people? That is an effectual call. Now, do we want to say that you can tell Him no? You don't want to tell Him no. He's changed your heart. He's changed your mind. He's changed your soul. And now He has transferred you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. When God calls His sheep, His sheep know His voice. And what do they do? They come. Think about that. The same divine power that spoke light into this world. If you're a Christian, when you were running, He came and spoke those words into your soul and said, Taylor, let there be light into your soul. That's divine power. She couldn't do that. And when he speaks light into that soul, the heart has changed. And then at one time in history, she hears the gospel. And that seed takes root in her soul. And she runs to this Savior and places the faith that was given to her into Him. He justifies her and takes the universal gavel of the judge of this universe and He slams it down and He says, I declare her righteous. That's by divine power. That's an effectual call. That's what he does to his sheep. We take the example of Lazarus. We've used this before. Lazarus was dead. The Bible says that we're dead in sin and trespass. I ask this every time, and I tell you every time, the first time I ask this question, what can a dead man do? I got vote in Chicago. Hopefully this podcast doesn't go to Chicago. And they find out where we're at. Kentucky. But Lazarus was dead, wasn't he? You know what's amazing to me is how amazing the Bible is? What's John chapter 10 all about? The good shepherd calls his sheep, they come. He gives them eternal life. That's chapter 10. What happens in chapter 11? Lazarus is dead. You're dead before Christ. Unable to come to him. What can a dead man do? Be dead. Can't reach for a rope. Can't reach for a lifeline. Can't open the door to let himself out. Can't give himself CPR to bring him back to life. Can't do that. He's dead. Oh, but Lazarus heard an effectual call that day, didn't he? No, he did. Lazarus is dead, completely at the mercy of Christ. The sheep hear his voice. I know this isn't a salvation text here. He's not, he's not bringing Lazarus to salvation, but we still see the same imagery. But he says, Lazarus, come forth. Now, 
who would hear would like to say that Lazarus could have stayed in that grave. Anybody? You see how careful we have to be? No, the light couldn't have told him no. It's effectual. Lazarus, he, he had to come out of that grave. And then when it starts to deal with the sovereignty of God and salvation, we say, well, that can't be. Different God. Lord, help us. We've said it a thousand times. The reason he said Lazarus instead of just come forth, because if God gave the call of everyone to come forth, guess what everyone in that, in the dead people around that grave would have done? Every one of them would have came forth. It was very specific, wasn't it? Lazarus, come forth. He knows his sheep. The sheep know him. They hear his voice and they come. We also see another example of this in the, the account of Paul. Anybody want to say that Paul was seeking after God on his road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9? No? No takers on that one? Paul had papers in his hands that he was going 120 miles to Damascus to persecute Christians and to bring them back uh, for his own uh, twisted plan. He hated the Christians. He was not seeking God on the road to Damascus. He was on the way to persecute Christians. And then something amazing happens. Somebody comes seeking after Paul. God himself. Blinded him with light. Put him on his butt. In paraphrasing, here's what he says. Go tell him. He's my chosen instrument. Go tell him how much he's going to suffer for me. Paul will go on later to say that before I was born, when I was in my mother's womb, God called me to this, separated me for this. That was an effectual call. Paul, you are my chosen instrument. You're going to do what I called you to do. That's an effectual call. You see, when God delivers an effectual call, it brings about this desired effect. Seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who has called us. You say, well, does He call everybody? He has to call everybody. Everybody can hear the gospel, yes. There are, there are two distinctions of calling. There's a general call that every human being on this planet can hear with their own ears. The Pharisees heard that call. But if you remember in John 10, they say, why can't we, or tell us again so we can believe. And he says, I have told you, but you cannot believe. Why? Because you're not my sheep. I've told you. The call has went out to you. You don't hear me because you're not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. My sheep know my name. I effectually call them and they come. There's a difference between the general call to all and the effectual call of his sheep. Because when God issues the effectual call, his sheep come. Just like the light, just like Paul, just like Lazarus, it has an effect. God does not beg, God does not plead, which is what we've made him to be in our modern churches. We say that God can't live without you. God desires you in heaven. And please, 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 he's, he's trying and he's begging you and he'll do anything for you to come to him. What kind of God is that? My God is not that God. My God has called His people. He's died for those people and they will come. It is a certainty of my God. My God does not leave it up for, well, I hope I can do what I want to accomplish. 
He's a powerful God with His divine power working in the hearts of His people. Never forget that. But He's called us. There's an effectual call. I want to leave you with these verses. If you're a Christian, He's called you. Here's what he says in Romans 8, 29, verse, or 8, 29 through 30. For those whom he foreknew, that word does not mean to look ahead and see what you're going to do. That word means to love with a salvific love before the foundation of the world. That's why he says to those who are not Christians, I never knew you. He knows his sheep, right? For those whom he foreknew or loved or chose, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Now listen to this golden chain that has no uh, holes in, the, in the, the chain here. And these whom he predestined, he called. It is a very specific group that he calls. Who does he call? Those whom he's predestined. Who does he predestine? Those whom he's foreknown. And look what happens. If he calls everyone the same, then what you have, ladies and gentlemen, is universalism, and you have everyone in heaven. There's no other way around it. If he calls everyone the same, look what happens. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Okay, so now there's, he foreknew you, he predestined you, he called you. But look what happens to everyone that he calls. And to these whom he called, he also justified. Who? where do we go with that? What is justification? Justification is by faith alone. It is where uh, that the righteousness of Christ is imputed on His believers and that you are declared righteous before God. And that is the only way that you can enter heaven, by Christ's righteousness and justification. So, does He do that to everybody? Does He justify everybody? Then He can't call everybody. You see, it's an effectual call. It's a guaranteed call. It's a guaranteed result because it's in the hands of God. And those whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he's justified, he also glorified. If he foreknew you and chose you before the foundation of the world, I'll see you in heaven. Because that's where your home is. And it is by the work of God, the power of God, the divine power of God that you will get there. John 10, verse 26 through 30, I said that earlier, that the sheep hear his voice, they follow me, and I give them eternal life. Not that I give them eternal life and then they may lose it later. I do, I give them eternal life. I've given them everything they need for life and godliness by my divine power. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 through 14. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord. Now listen, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation. That's a pretty clear text, isn't it? When did he choose you? From the beginning. For what? For salvation. Through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. It was for this He called you through our gospel so that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 1, 8-10, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, of me, His prisoner, but join with me in the suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which He, again, here comes granted, granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. But now He has revealed by His appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ to abolish death and brought life and immortality and to light through the gospel. There's life. He brought life. 
It's by His divine power. It's by His calling upon the lives of His people. Just a few more here. Hebrews 9, 15. For this reason, He is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Who receives the eternal inheritance? Those who have been called. Who has been called? We can just work back on the golden chain. If you think this isn't a big deal, if you think that the doctrine of election and predestination is not a big deal, you're, you're sadly mistaken because in the next few verses in this chapter alone, he's going to tell you that all the more you're to be diligent to confirm your election. It's that important. So you don't live a life of defeat and, and worry and, and uselessness. We run from this doctrine. And the Bible is going to tell us in the next few verses that you're to confirm your election. Confirm your choosing. Let it be in your life. That way you live a more fruitful life. It is the doctrine of the Bible. And it is important to Christ. It should be important to us. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Jude 1. There's only two more. Jude 1, because there's only one chapter in Jude. Jude, a bondservant, or a doulos, a slave of Jesus, and brother of James, to those who are the called, beloved in the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. There's the guarding of your soul. And then in Revelation chapter 17, if you want to know who's in heaven, if you want to know who's going to be there with Christ, we see it in this verse. These will wage war against the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, because He is the Lord of Lord, lords and the King of kings, and those who are with Him are the what? are the called and the chosen and the faithful. That's who's going to be in heaven. That's why it matters. That's why it's doctrine. That's why we preach it. That's why we teach it. And that's why Peter's going to tell us under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, do all diligence to make that more confirmed in your mind. Do you see what this verse is saying? If you're a Christian here today, Stop and think about that moment where you first saw the glories of the Bible, where you first saw the glories of the gospel, and know that before that you could see that glory, before you could feel that beauty in your soul, before you had affection for God, that you realized something happened. That you as a sheep were running astray. But the divine power of God the divine power that spoke this world into existence and raised Jesus from the dead came to you. And His divine power caused you to be born again and give you everything you need for the life after and this life now. That's not a small matter. That is only accomplished by the divine let us stop thinking that it's us that brings about our regeneration. It's not. It is the power of God unto salvation. And look what he says. Why did he do this? Why did he do this? Why did he call us? How did he call us? He called us by his own glory and excellence. That intrinsic glory, that transcendent glory of God. 
by his kind will, by his majestic eternal glory, and by his excellence. Not because of our works, not because of our worthiness, not because of our goodness, not because of a decision. None of that is why he called us. He called us because of his glory and his excellence. Stop today and think about what was at stake to bring about your salvation. Not something small, not something light, not something weak, not something of yourself. It took the dynamite power, the divine power of God to bring about this rebirth. And if he's done that, eternal life is guaranteed. But he's not left you alone. Because every step you take here on earth is accompanied by that same divine power. By the Holy Spirit working in you. You see, it's from Him are all things. And through Him are all things. And to Him are all things. To God and God alone the glory and it is that glory that he holds and the reason why he's called you let's pray father how could we ever begin to stop and think about what you've done for us lord i want to tell you that i'm sorry for the arrogance that i've shown in my life still show, Father, to think that maybe it's something that I've done. Maybe it's my own strength that'll get me to heaven, keep me on the right path. Lord, it's none of that. It is the working of you. It is the power of you. It is you guarding our souls and our hearts. It is you who has changed us, God. It is you and you alone. It is your call, God. It is your salvation. It is your divine power that has met my sinful soul one day that gives me the grace and the peace and the joy and the comfort to know that one day I'll dwell with you. Not because of me, but because of your excellence and your glory and your love and your kindness and your intention. God, I pray that today we would never look at our regeneration, our salvation, ever the same. We would see what it took, what power was required. It was the divine. Only you could bring about our regeneration. Father, help us to understand this. Help us to guide us in our lives, to let us know that we're not alone, that your divine power is dwelling in us as we walk through this world. And the reason it's in us is because you've rescued us, you've changed us, you've set us free. And you've brought us to spiritual life. God, let us change our thoughts and our minds today by your power. For you get all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.